0: Well, sir, great to be with you opening up the book of Jonah again. If there was one sort of strap line for the talk today, it's that God is a God of second chances. It would be lovely even to have it as a banner right over the top of the church as you walked in today, uh, the God of second chances, and it? Uh, it might just be my guesswork, or, uh, but I'm guessing there's quite a few of us here today who have a sense of... I could really do with a second chance today. Uh, So let's pray together as we approach God's word. Father, please, would you move among us, offer your grace and kindness to us, expose our hearts, reveal our hidden sins and flaws, and enable us to bring it into your loving, healing presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to confess that preaching this message is um, slightly problematic for me today. I botched the attempt at the early service of preaching this. I um, just went through the passage without really saying what I felt was on God's heart to say. The God of second chances, the God who lets us get up again and start again, is in some ways a deeply inconvenient truth <laughs> for some of us. Um, Because actually, I don't know about you, but I'm probably much more like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son than the younger brother. Um, I've made my mistakes. I've done my fair share of things. But if you clock through my life, you know, I haven't gone off and spent half the inheritance. I've I've vaguely done a lot of the things that, that look like you could sort of tick box them at a family gathering and go, yeah, he's probably doing a lot of the things on the right path. And the problem with being the older brother in the story of the prodigal son is that you seem to come off worse than the younger brother (laughs) by the end of the story. And I don't know if you relate to that, but I think that's what is in Jonah's spirit as he goes to Nineveh. See, Jonah's got a second chance in this story. It's an extraordinary second chance. He's supposed to be dead at the bottom of the Mediterranean at this point. And God, in his mercy, has sent a huge fish, a whale, along to rescue him. And spat him out onto the shore. And then it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. And it's not, Jonah, you've been a naughty boy. Jonah, I'm really annoyed with you. Jonah, I'm fed up with you. He basically just tells him to do the same thing that he was done uh, right at the beginning of uh, the book of Jonah. And, And Jonah, therefore, has had maybe little sense of consequence for this amazing salvation that he's had. He has been rescued by God. But it just sort of feels like a blip on his journey towards Johnny Foreigner over in uh, Babylonia into Nineveh, where he wants to proclaim God's word to them with a vengeance. He wants these people to know that they fall short of the glory of God. He wants these people to know that the way they've been living and the way they've been relating to God's people just isn't good enough. And that God wants to judge them and sort them out. And that God's not just going to let the world be imbalanced forever, that there are consequences for wrongdoings. And those who do wrong will get punished, and those who do good will be all right. And actually somewhere in most religious systems is this scales, isn't there? Look back into the ancient Zoroastrianism, into Islam, into many religious systems. There's a sort of sense of can your good outweigh your bad? And if your bad deeds are bad enough, boom, then thank goodness there's a God who's going to bring punishment to you eventually. <laughs> um, and let's try and balance it with lots of religious activity, pilgrimage, fast, all that sort of thing, and maybe we will uh, tip the scales back and we'll be okay. It's a very, very natural religious spirit that Jonah's operating in, and I can find myself operating in as well. So here's the story. Go to the great city of Nineveh, he wouldn't like it described as great, he'd call it the wicked city of Nineveh, and proclaim the message. Jonah goes, and if you've been using the study notes, you'll know this is an epic journey across a desert, 500 miles inland on foot or on donkey, It's, it's a difficult journey, and it's an important visit, it takes three days to get around it, and Jonah would have walked into that city conspicuously different to everyone else there. Imagine the emotions walking in, knowing you've got a message uh, uh, that you need to repent or you will be overturned, and gradually articulating the message, but articulating it also with a sort of a deep sternness in your heart, like, you really, really, really deserve this judgment. He's forgotten that he's been rescued by the three days and three nights as I can forget that I've been rescued by the three days and three nights that happened after Gethsemane's agony and after Calvary's cross. He's forgotten how he's been rescued. And with passion and zeal in his heart, he says, 40 male days and Nineveh will be overturned. Literally the most powerful sermon ever, ever preached, ever recorded. Because what happens is that this entire city, 120,000 people, begin repenting from the get-go. 40 more days and you'll be overturned, but day one they're repenting. The king hears about it and he makes it a law to repent. He establishes a decree, says like everyone, we're going to have a fast, we're going to abstain from food and drink, we're going to turn back to God, the God of second chances, the God of the Old Testament, the God of compassion we're going to turn back to the God of the Old Testament because he's rich in mercy. And maybe he'll forgive us before the 40 days are up. And Jonah's heart, as we'll see more next week, is sinking at this point. But their hearts are low before God and they're humble before God. Now, if you know your Old Testament really, really well, you might spot the allusion in here to the book of Genesis where another messenger is sent to a city and said, unless you repent, I will destroy you. The great cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, known for their wickedness, the book of Ezekiel says that their specific wickedness was that they didn't remember the poor. They're named for other things as well. Horrible rapes and sexual immorality of all sorts, but not remembering the poor. And a messenger went to them and said, unless you repent, them." And didn't give them 40 days, but they didn't repent. So why the 40 days in verse 4? And this is really important for us and might really help you on your walk with God, your personal journey towards God and faith and spiritual growth. Psychologists will tell us now that it takes 40 days or so to break a habit. It's one of the reasons that Lent is 40 days long. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Moses up a mountain for 40 days. 40 days to outwork the fruit of the repentance. Unless you repent, you will be overturned. 40 days. And so the repentance that the Ninevites are exhibiting here isn't just a flash pan, the preacher was really on fire this morning, I'm not going to do that again. It's one that they worked out over six weeks. And actually, if you work something out over six weeks, amazingly enough, it stops being a habit and ingrained in you. Sin leads into habitual sin, doesn't it? And habitual sin begins to define your character. And if you want your character turned around to be more full of Jesus and less full of you, then the habitual sin needs breaking, and it takes six weeks to see it broken. And after that, you're no longer in that pattern again. You have to relearn the pattern (laughs) if you want to. If you're intending to do dry January next year, why not wait until Valentine's Day instead of finishing on January the 30th? Because you've you've fallen short of breaking off the pattern, breaking off the habit, and and you won't be fully released in that time. And God wants these Ninevites free. Not just a flash pan repentance at a convention, at a summer Bible week, at a festival. Not just an emotional response to a sermon, but lived out freeness. Why does he want them free? Because sin's rubbish. It eats away at us and destroys us, gets under our skin, and knocks us down. And sometimes it's like we're owned by sin. That negativity that we've got towards someone, that hatred to the person who's deeply hurt us and totally let us down. The person we want to rebel against, the person whose who's very name causes us to shudder in some ways. Or the activity that we just don't seem to be able to turn away from in our own strength. That need for affirmation, a relational Help. Any of these things, these props that we cling to, God wants us to be able to walk free from that. Not propped up, but loved up. Forty days to break a habit. The same amount of time, actually, until Christmas Eve, the night before Christmas Eve. What could these next six weeks mean for you and for me? Well, let me say, if you're someone who needs a second chance today, if you're someone who knows that you have in your lifetime just really failed against your own standard in ways that really have gripped you. Can I can I say one thing firstly? Well done <laughs> for being here today. Well done for being here today. We sometimes wonder why people fall away from church, don't we? <laughs> Um, sometimes, of course, they 've read a book by a famous Oxford scientist, and they 've got questions that are beyond what they can cope with as they read that fundamentalism. sometimes it 's you know sadness that we 've gone through a bereavement or a loss of some sort, but actually oftentimes it 's because we 're hearing a nagging voice saying you 're not welcome there anymore. you shouldn 't go there. Who are you to go there?" You ever heard that nagging voice when you've thought about praying or thought about going to church? So if you've made it through the door today, or even if you're listening to the podcast online today, and that's as far as you can get, well done for tuning in. The first step to God is going, actually, I need some help. Twelve steps to rehabilitation. <laughs> My name's Richard. I get things wrong. <laughs> I need your help, Lord. Twelve steps. Do you know? Well done for being here. The second thing is 40 days to break a habit. (laughs) What could you get right with yourself, with other people, with God, before Christmas this year? (laughs) What could change? Who could you apologize to? Who could you repent to? Who could you rebuild relationship with? And can I suggest, humbly, because you may... uh, understand this far more deeply than I do, that the first person you might need to do that to is yourself. If you're feeling under condemnation, under conviction, that you've fallen short in some measure that you've given yourself or others have given you, then actually saying to yourself, okay, I forgive me, is a big and important step forward. It's really important to learn how to receive the love of God. You know, when we're singing a chorus like, your love never fails, it never lets go, it never lets go of me, (laughs) it's easy to feel that's for the person next to us, isn't it? But he wants you to know that's for, for you. And if you then get a sense of that's for you as well, then if for you, why not for the person next to you and the person you're thinking of. Why not for them as well? That he might want to release you there. So what happens to the Ninevites in our story? Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. They believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to least, put on a sackcloth. This could be the next step. Actually, God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm just going to hold on to you in deliberate, intentional prayer until I get this breakthrough with you. You might be self-diagnosing and going now, God, I've got a really, really hard heart. I'm really angry, if I'm honest, at something or someone. What about if you say, God, for 40 days I'm going to chuck away my right to be angry. (laughs) Down on myself, down on others. I'd love as a Christmas present this year from you, God, to be free. (laughs) To know real peace, to know real joy, because you've changed me. And so they fast, they give up their alcohol, their food, their Facebook, their Netflix, their tinder, whatever it might be, and go, God, I want to be serious with you now. I realize I'm in peril if I stay in this way, but I don't want to be in peril. Maybe you will relent and with compassion turn from anger so we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, and how they had turned from their evil ways. He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he'd threatened. We'll see next week how Jonah felt about that. But for now, in chapter three, that is incredible, isn't it? An entire city full of wickedness in a six week period. Utterly changed because of a simple message. Turn back to God. Isn't the power of God incredible when he sort of sweeps in and changes lives? I was sitting in here at a six o'clock service a few weeks ago. And actually I was not on a high place emotionally. So I I was just kneeling on the floor at the back. But in front of me I saw in three rows um, one person in front of another in front of another who I know had repented and come to faith in Jesus over the last two years from totally different backgrounds all with this incredible journey to God. Isn't it incredible that if we just say sorry to God (laughs) he can restore us? If you uh, follow the BBC News app, you may have seen on it this morning an incredible story about the Romani gypsies in the UK. It's worth worth a read. 40% of gypsies in the UK have joined a Christian group. They're called Light and Life. Uh, and they've turned from alcohol, they've turned from um, fortune-telling to following Jesus. This has all happened in the last 30 years since someone turned up at the northeast and said, there's hope for you. Someone from France came as a missionary to the northeast of England. And there are Anglican churches now growing full of uh, gypsy congregations as well, as well as these, these free congregations. God changes lives. We've been watching the Alpha Film series, which will run again in this summer term here. And it's just an amazing teaching. But again and again on it, they bring up someone who's you know, been in prison for horrific acts, and they tell their story and, and they've received this incredible peace and forgiveness from God. It's lovely to see. But maybe the most moving story of all is one told by Paul Cowley. And it's the story he tells in the end of the How Can God Guide Me talk on the Alpha course. If you haven't seen this, I recommend seeing it in the original version. And Paul was someone who was estranged from his father through his life was angry and bitter. Uh, His father, who was sort of into gangs and all sorts of awful things, Paul ended up uh, hugely in trouble with the law, then in the the military, had three broken marriages, was estranged from his then wife, met Jesus, had his life turned around, having been in prison himself. Uh, founded Prison Alpha with the incredible work that's going on there. And then had a new family, And with his new family, he tried to reach out to his really grumpy, stroppy, difficult father. And they'd invite his father down from Manchester to his posh house in West London. And they'd just try and bless him and try and be nice to him. But he always just left this sort of sour taste in everyone's mouth when he visited. The sort of relative that ordinarily you could be excused for not inviting to family functions and that sort of thing. There was something really, really annoying about the father, but Paul persevered because of his Christian faith and his belief that he had been forgiven by his three days, three nights, so he ought to offer his forgiveness to his father. And eventually, his father came down, and one thing he was always grumbling about was money. I don't have as much money as you, blah, 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 and, and, and all these things. And, and Paul took him to Kings Cross Station to uh, fire him up on the, on the train on the way home, or Euston Station, perhaps, and... He just had this nudge, really simple nudge. He said, oh, I'm going to upgrade my dad's ticket. And um, he did so. He bought his dad a first-class ticket, a huge amount of money, last-minute ticket on this uh, rush train. And uh, went into the train, took his dad to the first-class carriage and sat him down, and his dad sort of tipped his hat down had his cup of tea brought to him by the, the waitress service, given his paper, relaxed. And Paul says that from the side of the platform, his wife was saying, what on earth did you do that for? And just then... <laughs> Sorry. just then his his dad turned to him and smiled with the biggest smile he'd ever seen. And um, three weeks later he died. Sorry, I've had a big weekend. (laughs) It's understandable to keep resentment through your life, isn't it? Especially if you've been hurt really badly. It is divine to forgive, to restore, to redeem, and to bring us back together. That's what God did for the Ninevites. That's what He did for Paul and His father. That's what He wants to do for you and for those relationships that need heaving in your life. That's what He wants to do for the whole of humanity. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but us all to repent and turn back to him. May God give us the grace to be as obedient as Jonah is in this passage, but to do it as people who know that we've been forgiven and who long to see restoration as well. In Jesus' name.